Um, anyway, but yeah, you, you want to close out the end of the chapter. There were some quotes there I know that, that you liked um, that you put in there. Yeah, I know there's one just, uh, you know, at the very end um, that it probably is my favorite quote from this chapter. And this chapter was like packed and, and even chapter two yeah. is pretty packed with some really profound ideas. So it was hard to pinpoint exactly where we wanted to go um, when summarizing it. But one of the things that I often say is, is uh, America's number one export is culture. Uh, and that's super important because it's it's more valuable than any sort of actual tangible export. Um, and once you lose that, I think uh, that should should ring some red flags and, and try to help you understand like, OK, why why are we losing this? Because if we're going to be importing stuff, what are we importing? Right. So I think this quote kind of goes exactly what F.A. Hayek saw in England at the time is kind of what I think I'm seeing now in America. So a uh, quote, it is significant that this change in in the trend of ideas has coincided with the reversal of direction in which ideas have traveled in space for over 200 years, English ideas had been spreading eastward. The rule of freedom, which had been achieved in England seemed destined to spread throughout the world by around 1870, the reign of these ideas had probably reached its East Eastern most expansion from then onward. It began to retreat and a different set of ideas, not really, not really new, but very old, began to advance from the East. England lost her intellectual leadership in the political and social sphere and became an importer of ideas. Now, what I really, really want to highlight there is the ideas were not really new, but very old ideas that are now being revitalized. And mm. these people who are revitalizing these old ideas who tend not to admit that they're old, they try to rebrand them and say they're new, these people yep. think that they are progressing, right? They normally label, label themselves progressive, especially now. They think they're progressing into a post-Western, post-capitalist world. But yep. in reality, they are regressing to a pre-Western and pre-capitalist world. Excellent. They don't Excellent understand point. these ideas yeah. are not taking them forward. They're taking them backward. And I can even, I think I could argue. All of us. Say, they're taking not exactly. just them and dragging all of us with them. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they can go out there and live, you know, as we, we lived in the pre-Western world, if they want by themselves, by yourself, you know, some, some land in the country, but they don't want to do that. They think this is what society should aspire to. And like I said, because these ideas are so old, you're naturally going to start to take yourself back in that direction. So you, you say post postmodern, like we want to live in a postmodern society or we're starting to move past um, what we called modernity, but really we're moving in front of it. We're trying to, we're, we're losing all of these liberal principles that we developed through time that we happen to stumble along this amazing grand path toward, uh, you know, true liberty and prosperity. And now we're saying, you know what? I don't even know if I want to deviate from the path. I just kind of want to go backwards, right? I want to, I want to pull a Yui and start going in that direction. I think that's, you know, important to understand that, you know, they, it's, it, that's why I always say being a progressive is often promoting very, very regressive policies, ironically. Yep. Thought the, I thought the Rockies would be a lot rockier than this. That John Denver is full of shit. They were driving <laughs> 600 miles in the wrong direction or whatever. It was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you got that, uh, that reference yeah. there. Um, so yeah, so let's move on to chapter two here. Um, and chapter two is called the great utopia. And we we're at about exactly an hour right mm -hmm. now. Um, but I think we can probably still cut, cut it sure. up, you know, however, um, yeah. Chapter two won't be as long. As, no. as and a real quick point. I mean, I think something we probably brought up at the beginning, but uh, the, I like the way he's labeled these chapters. The abandoned road tells, uh, tells the story of us getting to where we are using our liberal principles and mm -hmm. 
the trajectory that we're seeing now that we're abandoning them. I mean, this was 1944. Yep. They said they were abandoning them. Imagine them, you know, being in 2021 and, and seeing what we're doing now. But now oh, the no. second chapter is the great utopia. So it goes from abandoning liberalism to adopting socialism and collectivism. And that's why yep. I love the way he, he labeled these chapters. Yep. That's an excellent point, Kevin. Yeah, that he he's saying at the beginning, it's a lot more of, again, he's laying that foundation of here's what got us here. And then now you're trying to do some new thing. You want to dismantle the stuff. Okay, now let's put some names to this. What are you actually trying to do here? Um, you're trying to you know whitewash socialism as something that's going to save us uh, when really it's a utopian thing that will, that will lead us to, to servitude and, and socialism leads to slavery, I believe is, is what he says at the very beginning. Um, and uh, okay, so you had this quote here uh, the, at the very beginning that I like of chapter two, where he says, quote, that socialism has displaced liberalism as a doctrine held by the great majority of progressives does not simply mean that people had forgotten the warning of the great liberal thinkers of the past about the consequences of collectivism. It has happened because they were persuaded of the very opposite of what these men had predicted. I would argue today people are persuaded of the opposite of what people like Hayek had predicted. The extraordinary thing is that the same socialism was not only early recognized as the gravest threat to freedom, but quite openly began as a reaction against the liberalism of the French Revolution, gained general acceptance under the, the flag of liberty. It is rare, rarely remembered now that socialism in its beginnings was frankly authoritarian. The French writers who laid the foundations of modern socialism had no doubt that their ideas could be put into practice only by a strong dictatorial government. To them, socialism meant an attempt to terminate the revolution by deliberate reorganization of society on hierarchical lines and by the imposition of a coercive spiritual power. Where freedom was concerned, the founders of socialism made no bones about their intentions. Freedom of thought they regarded as the root evil of 19th century society. I'm going to say that again. Freedom of thought, they, they being those who founded socialism, regarded as the root evil of the 19th century. And the first of modern planners, Saint-Simon, even predicted that those who did not obey his proposed planning boards would be treated as cattle. Um, and and I, I love that. And you know what's funny is that what I was thinking about even just as I was reading that um, is that we see this again. You know, I saw someone, uh, I forgot who it was, I think it was Joy Reid, you know, she's insane, but... <laughs> tweeted something out the other day about how the GOP, you know, wants to keep CRT out of education because um, there's already CRT there, you know, conservative or, or Confederate um, race theory, and that that kids are taught that slavery wasn't that bad and, and all this other stuff. And it's like, what are you talking about? I, I, I think I responded, like, remind me again, which was the party that was literally founded to end slavery and which was the party that that literally created the Jim Crow South. Um, and, and it's, it's just insane to me, you know, he's talking about socialism was founded by authoritarians who hated freedom of thought. And now we get to, it's just shoved out over 50% of, of kids and Gen Z and, and millennials think that it's a good thing and they get to whitewash it. And it's the same way with the, with the democratic party. You know, I, I, I'm just increasingly, it's like, no, you, you're liars, like absolute liars. Like there is something to whenever they say that these people get to rewrite that the history books have been rewritten in a lot of ways. They have because no one talks about how the Democratic Party was the one who 
was that was the Confederates. That was the Jim Crow South. That was the KKK. That was the like anti-abolitionist movement. They were the ones who voted against the Civil Rights Act, like you know, and all these things. Uh, it, it's it's really astounding, man. I, that, yeah, yeah. You'd think, you know, what they always say: whatever you write in the internet, internet stays there forever. But at least yeah. these people were pre-internet, so they can kind of whitewash right. what they said. I mean, these people wrote this stuff in their books. Like you said, they yeah. made no bones about their intentions. They were very obvious about this stuff. And I mean, it's it's still written work you can find, but it is, uh, you know, just ignored or said, well, that, you know, this was the primitive version of what we want now. And there's actually quote, or quotes that will go on to say, uh, you know, democratic socialism is an evolution of this that moved away from these original bad ideas. Uh, but in reality, what happened is modern socialism, modern collectivism figured out how to play the word game. That's, that's it's what it's happened. hijacked language. Yeah. Yep. So they, they believe in the exact same anti-fascism. Things. Yeah. And, and it's this unapologetic, like, who cares? I don't care if that guy said that. Like, I don't care if Stalinism was really, really bad or gulags are really, really bad. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's something we might have to implement in the future. I mean, they're, they're very open about this now and this uh, culture where it's a color coach culture. Uh, but you can tell the people who don't apologize, like normally, like, uh, you know, there's been a spate of really, really bad uh, professors and speakers at all these college campuses talking about really, really horrible race theory that get called out for it. And they're just like, I'm not going to apologize. Who's going to, there's no one in power to, to damage my reputation at this point. Hold me accountable. Um, and the information stream is controlled by the people who will protect me. That's what blows my mind is I think that as an aside here, you know, a small tangent is that I think that you know, I've been thinking a lot about the civil rights movement lately and the success of it, um, because I think that we have to find a way to map what their success onto what we're trying to do now in a lot of ways in terms of just the information. I'm not talking about like we're fighting for the same thing as blacks are in the civil rights movement, obviously. But um, the civil rights movement was entirely dependent on the on the television camera and the printing press uh, entirely. The pictures and the, and the videos that came from what was going on in the South shined a light on the evils of what was taking place and made it where regular Americans couldn't ignore it. That's how a minority was able to conquer a majority that had total institutional control, total institutional control, except for one, except for one, the national press. They did not control the national press. Those in favor of Jim Crow did not control the national press. And so that's how they were able to get a spotlight on that stuff. And I think that um, there is something to be said about the fact that these people have, like you were saying, they can just say it. They won't apologize for it. They can say horrible things, crazy things, evil things. And because they, they do now control the national press, they don't control it. Like the part, like someone like Tariq Nasheed or Joy, or Joy Reid. Well, I mean, I guess Joy Reid's part of it, but <laughs> like, they they do they don't control it necessarily but they know that the people in that like they all have an agreement like we're all on the side with the d in front of the name and so and these are the the accepted things and so we can say whatever we want and the people in the background can say what they want and they know that they won't be held accountable because there is now that institutional control i think they they learned i think they learned from the civil rights movement you know that they succeeded because the the press was willing to shine a spotlight there. The opposite of that is um, people won't succeed if the press isn't willing to shine a spotlight on the things that matter and expose this stuff. Um, and, the, and they know that the press is in the game of propaganda and misinformation um, and manufacturing consent, to quote Noam Chomsky. Um, 
more than actual dissemination of information. And so that, that's a, a thing that's different today than it was in, in Hayek's day. Um, but, but the principle remains, remains the same, I guess. Sorry, that was a, that was a, uh, a, yeah. a little minor tangent, but it made me no, think. no, it's good. Uh, I mean, the whole point of doing this isn't just to do a read along of of what Hayek thought in 1944. It's it's how these this book is like super for being this old, like super relevant to today. So I think any yeah. tangent we take that that illuminates what's happening today and and how it really is very similar to what happened uh, back then is is worth uh, going on a tangent for. But there there's another quote here that kind of expands on the idea of a uh, idea we hear of all the time now, which is democratic socialism, right? You know, it's yep. a, a big, big acceptable, it's the acceptable version of socialism. And, and he talks about a couple different revolutions of, of socialism that they try to make it more palatable. I mean, it's really just an advertisement game. They're trying to say, all right, what way yep. can we package this word that has been so demonized? And he even talked about in the introduction at some point, it's like socialism is a dirty word. Like it's, it's always means bad, but like in 1944, he's like, they will repackage it and rebrand it. They yep. will try to do this in the future. And they've done it. Many Planning, times social justice. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. go back. I mean, you talk about how things change. Go back 15 years ago. You really think we would, we would, uh, uh, you know, as Americans think that there would be open socialists in the government right now. I mean, 15 years nuts. ago. I think 15 years ago, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. That's cool. now, I mean, at go least back to go back 35 years ago before the fall of the Soviet Union and people would be loading their shotguns and driving to Washington. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. But so, yeah. Uh, so this next one kind of dives a little bit into and, and goes into Stokeville on, on democratic socialism, but quote, only under the influence of a strong of the strong democratic currents preceding the revolution of 1848, did socialism begin to ally itself with the forces of freedom but it took the new democratic socialism a long time to live down the superstitions aroused by its antecedents. Nobody saw more clearly than to Tocqueville that democracy as an essentially individualist institution stood in an, in an irreconcilable, irreconcilable uh, conflict with socialism. Democracy, and quote from Tocqueville, democracy extends the, the sphere of individual freedom, he said in 1948, socialism restricts it. Democracy attaches all possible value to each man. Socialism makes each man a mere agent, a mere number. Democracy and socialism have nothing in common but one word, equality. But notice the difference. While democracy seeks equality in liberty, socialism seeks equality in restraint and servitude. And, you know, as profound as Tocqueville always is. And, and the funny thing is, is a really quick aside is when he tried to publish this book in America, he had a, a, one of the first quotes on there because he, he made a quote from a different person at the beginning of every um, um, chapter. To Tocqueville is one of them and they tried to take it out. They didn't include it, yeah. Yeah, they didn't include it in the first version. He's like, what? this is America. <laughs> you know yeah. who this guy is, right? Um, and, and yeah, they tried to kind of whitewash him, but it was eventually put back in by at least the 76 version. But um, I mean, you, you, you talk about the different ways in which they believe in getting to equality, right? It's this language mm -hmm. game is they both believe in equality, although until late equality was uh, swapped for equity, but I believe they mean the mm -hmm. same thing in reality. They all wanted, they wanted the equitable outcome, whereas freedom, liberalism wanted you to figure out the best way to improve your own life. And by that, it's going to raise all ships. And the other way is going to create servitude and it's going to at best keep all ships around the same or probably sink all of them. And in reality, yeah. it kind of picks and chooses winners and losers. And it's a really, really big 
bureaucratic inside game as to who's going to be the winner and loser there, but they're, they're, they're completely different and uh, irreconcilable with each other. Yep. And, and uh, to your point, yeah, it's, it's that the, <laughs> the, the pursuit, it's, it's not that equity or equality or whatever, whenever people have freedom, there's going to be different outcomes. Well, there's always going to be different outcomes, um, but they want us to all be equally poor, equally destitute, equally miserable. Um, but I love that. That's another one of those things that, you know, that you had it in bold because um, we had both put it, put it in the notes. But yeah, they, democracy and socialism have nothing in common but one word, equality. Notice the difference. While well, democracy seeks equality in liberty, freedom, you know, socialism seeks equality in restraint and servitude. And yeah, it, it's... <laughs> And that's another one of those ones that's like painted on the wall. Yeah. What's funny is whenever he quotes to Tocqueville and Lord Acton, you know, we, we get, we will read Thomas Sowell and go, okay, Sowell quotes uh, uh, Hayek. And then now I'm reading Hayek and he's quoting the hell out of Tocqueville. I'm like, okay, God, now I got to go back and read Democracy mm-hmm. in America, which was written in the 1800s. You know, I think yeah. like early 1800s, it was pre-Civil War, I'm pretty yeah. sure, uh, like 1840s maybe. Um, I, I can't remember exactly. It was either 1830s or 1840s. Um, but, but yeah, and so it's like, Again, people were understanding this stuff, and these are people who just understood how these things work, you know, when they're allowed to work as they work, um, and they they recognized it then. I, I watched, I don't know if you saw as an aside, James Lindsay did a thing where he tra- uh, traced back um, CRT and progressivism and stuff, at, like, literally 200 years. He went back to, mm-hmm. like, the early 1800s and was like, this is how old these ideas are. This is how gradual their progression was. Um, it's when he, it's when he goes into thinking about Hegel. Um, it's, I think it's all about Hegel, um, or at least in the beginning and the dialectic process. And it's like a a lot of this stuff came out of like the philosophy of the French revolution and, you know, kind of blossomed from there. I know. Right. I, I would, I will gladly give back French fries, uh, in exchange for not having these ideas (laughs) out there. Um, so to kind of keep things moving with the word game, here's another quote. Uh, to ally these suspicions and to harness to its cart the strongest of all political motives, the craving for freedom, socialism began increasingly to make use of the promise of, quote, a new freedom. So just I don't want to gloss over what was just said here, um, because this is a thing whenever I use like that metaphor of Hydra and the Third Reich in the Captain America movie. He's saying that because, like you mentioned, Kevin, that socialism was a dirty word. There's people suspicious of it. He's saying to harness to its cart. So they're saying we're going to hitch our cart to liberalism. Um, and the strongest of all political motives, which is craving for freedom, socialism began increasingly to make the promise of a new freedom. So they start hijacking the language. They infiltrate the system. They infiltrate the people. Um, and so they'll say, yeah, no, we care about freedom too. We care about, we care about democracy too, right? Democratic socialism. Um, and he says the subtle change in meaning of the word freedom was subjected in order that this argument should sound plausible is important to be great to sorry to be to the great apostles of political freedom the word had meant freedom from coercion so he's saying the people so think of like a john stuart mill or something like that that freedom had meant freedom from coercion like for me to be a free man is i am free from someone else trying to impose their will on my life you know i i think this might have been j.s mill i don't think it is um, you know, the, the, your freedom to wave your fist ends where my face begins, right? And so it's like you have the freedom to do what you want as long as you're not imposing. I think that, I think that was Ron Swanson. I think that's okay, right? Um, 
government is a parasite. Uh, and he's saying, so the, when the people, the people who are founding this and the early philosophers of liberalism, they're saying freedom is freedom from coercion, freedom from the arbitrary power of other men, released from the ties, which left the individual no choice, no choice. What's the opposite of freedom? No choice. But obedience to the orders of a su superior to whom he was attached. The new freedom promised, however, was to be a freedom from necessity, of freedom from want, right? Healthcare is a human right. Housing is a human right, right? Um, released from the compulsion of the circumstances, which inevitably limit the range of choice for all of us, although for some very much more than others. Before man could be truly free, the despotism of physical want had to be broken and the restraints of the economic system relaxed. Freedom in this sense is merely another name for power and wealth. The demand for the new freedom was thus only another name for the old demand for an equal distribution of wealth. But the new name given, uh, the new name gave the socialists another word in common with the liberals and they exploited it to the full. Where else have we seen that? Maybe equality? right? Maybe racism, maybe oppression, maybe justice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and although the word was used in a different sense by the two groups, few people noticed this and still fewer asked themselves whether the two kinds of freedom promised could really be combined. I mean, this is an early unpacking of the Mott and Bailey type thing, right? Where you have the, the socialists, the progressives here who are start to use this word that they know is meaningful to these people and they're using it in a different way. And so they're both, both groups are using it differently. And by using this word, they get buy-in with the liberals, with the progressives. And again, think liberal as, or the progressives get it with the liberals. Think liberals, think liberty, think freedom, think modern conservative or libertarian. Um, they get buy-in. And so now they're using it two different ways. And what does that also imply? Well, that the liberals are agreeing with them when they use this word and they're agreeing to something using a definition that they did not agree to. And so it, the, the conflation was intentional on this part, and these other people are just suckers along for the ride. And so that's how we get the Smot and Bailey. They don't really mean abolish the police. You know, they don't really mean that, right? They don't really mean whatever thing. Um, and so this word game we've seen is very effective, and it, and it was used even then. Um, and so that, that's one of the ways that they were able to infiltrate it, democratic socialism, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, that's like Hitler's or the Nazis had that popular phrase, uh, we want to give you freedom from freedom. Mm -hmm. It's like, was oh, this like freedom times two? How does this work? I'm not, not great at math. I don't, I, I, right. Exactly. Um, but it's that, that subtle language game and they use new freedom here. Right. But they don't use the words new freedom anymore. It's just freedom now. Right. Yep. So we've, we've almost made a double speak term out of this word that can mean a different thing, depending on how you want it used in that context, but still related to its original meaning. Like you said, with the liberal, like if you get, the the go ahead and the the uh, say liberals like me right so it's easier to package your your narrative to liberals although real liberals are like no I don't want anything <laughs> you want that's no, crazy you, right yeah. exactly that that bait and switch you there is uh, you know extremely important especially for like you, you say the outward advertising of this type of of information and, and being allowed to to give them buy in and stuff like that so yeah I I, I love the uh, really I mean. I wanted to shorten this quote to not cover like two whole paragraphs, but you like, can't, there's so many good ones, especially in the second chapter yep. that 
um, is just, it's, it's full of, and what I do love too, is his use of people like the Tocqueville. Uh, there's another one coming up from, from another guy, uh, but using those external resources and really pulling him in to make sense of, of yep. what he's trying to say there. And it's, he just does it in such a, a great, concise way. Yep. And, and real fast before we move on to the next one, I think it's also important to note the, the change. So let's, let's actually spend a second on this as I'm thinking about it. Sorry. Um, is, is actually substantive because once you get people, um, have you seen, oh my God, I don't know. This is how my brain works, man. I always think about movies. Have you seen Saving Silverman? Yeah. Yeah. Like nineties okay. movie. Yes. Uh, I think it's early 2000s. Early 2000, okay. Yeah. 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 Steve's on Jack Black, hilarious movie. Yeah, good Amanda movie. P, yeah. Jason, Jason, I forgot his name is the guy in um, American Pie. Um, anyway, so they're, they're in this van and it's like, we're not going to take this anymore. Yeah. And we got to do something about this. Yeah. We're going to kidnap Darren and set, set him up with Sandy. Yeah. <laughs> what? You know? And so like the, the point is, is that they're like getting these, these people to agree to this stuff. And by changing the definition of freedom, this is what I mean, is by changing the definition of freedom, whenever you say that freedom from, is not about freedom from coercion, but freedom from necessity, you are, by implication, you're not agreeing to a definition. You're agreeing to a process. You're agreeing to a process. Freedom from necessity means, well, yeah, yeah, we're going to kidnap Darren and set him up with Santa. Yeah, wait, what? We, are we? We're going to do a thing. It's not, you're not... You're not agreeing to freedom from coercion, which is you not doing something. By, by agreeing to freedom from necessity, you're agreeing that we have to do something. You're agreeing that we have to act. Oh, okay. So, yeah, then health housing is a human right. I, someone tweeted out yesterday that California wants to pay for like half your house or something like that if you're going to buy a house. I think James Lindsay retweeted said this is a trap. Um, and it's like, yeah, it is. So we got to, we have to fund the government to do all these things. We have to give them more power and more of our money so they can get involved. Oh, education for your give student loans. So that, so it, that part is so important. I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over that. Whenever you change the definition, you change the implications of the statement. Mm -hmm. And so they got these, these good liberals in that classical sense by, by doing this and agreeing with their definition, maybe unwittingly at first, to also agree to the processes prescribed to bring about that freedom. When you change it from freedom from coercion to freedom from necessity, you agree to a fundamental change of processes, which as, he, as we talked about earlier, leads to a change in the policy, which leads to a change in the culture and a change in the people and the trajectory of that country. Does that make sense? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't think that we should gloss over that fact. Oh, that has real world implications. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even, even talking about, you know, collectivism versus individualism, individual, you know, a moral individual believes in something like charity, right? Where the yeah. collective is like, we believe in government charity. It's like, all right, well, unpack that phrase, right? What does that mean? Right. I, I saw a headline the other day of, of, uh, you know, President Biden um, donating vaccines to other countries, which is an admirable goal. I'm not saying we ought not to do Almost that, but like the language used- well, the, well, or well, the, the real part here is the language used there was to say that President Biden, old Joe, old, old good old Joe, is donating stuff out of his own pocket, and it's like, whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 wait, he's using my money 
to yeah. donate to other people, right? That that is government charity for you. And again, admirable cause. I don't necessarily disagree with it, but like use call it what it is. Don't try to pretend and package this in a different way that's going yeah. to be like this is freedom or you know, uh, you know, I'm gonna give you more freedom by uh, controlling your healthcare, right? That's not freedom. That's that's the yep. opposite of freedom. Um but I'm okay there, with there being less of those in and <laughs> within our borders, to be honest. I'm I'm okay saying that. By yeah, the way. Yeah. Um but so so there's another quote going on here, and I think this is really good to, to put you in the mindset of someone living in this time. You know, it's like you said, toward the end of World War II, um, there are competing ideologies here, but you might think uh, it's competing Nazism with the West. Well, you got to remember, too, the West was allied with Russia at the time. Russia yep. also had a competing ideo ideology, which is communism. And people were starting to see, you know, these are two, you know, you know, fascism and communism are against each other. People at the time are starting to see, are they really against each other? Or are they really even different? So I really like this quote because he kind of, uh, uh, you know, characterizes what people were thinking at the time. So quote, observer after observer, in spite of the contrary expect expectation with which he approached his subject has been impressed with the extraordinary similarity in many respects of the conditions under fascism and communism. While progressives in England and elsewhere were still deluding themselves that communism and fascism represented opposite poles, more and more people began to ask themselves whether these tyrannies were not the outcome of the same tendencies. They started to see it already. They started like these two. I mean, it happens a lot in history where the, the, the civil war is always against these like-minded that it's like this one little belief, you know, one, one prophecy that, that makes the whole difference between the two other, other than that, they're the exact same. We'll get to a quote later that they, they like the, the fascist hates the communist, the communist hates the fascist, but what they both hate more than anything else is the liberal. Right. So there's, yep. a, there's a quote we'll get on to later, but um, yeah, I, man, I just love the way he kind of uh, characterizes the people's thought at the moment. And they're already starting to open their eyes to this in Europe. In America, it's a little bit different story because they don't have the hands-on, the practical experience yet. But I do like how he shows that people are already starting to see this for what it is. Yep. And to kind of map that onto a different situation or, or metaphor, you know, I, I have a much harder time and, and I would say, let's just say stronger feelings uh, of contention with someone who would, let's say, is like a Mormon or like Westboro Baptist or something like that. Um, than an atheist. Whereas if someone were to say, all right, let's make a list of all the things that you would say you agree with, or there's three columns, there's you, there's the Mormon, and there's the atheist. Like, the in terms of the religious statements there, like, I'm going to have way more boxes checked in that are going to be the same as, you know, the Mormon or, or some other, or Westboro Baptist, than with the atheist. But it's those different, it's that, those few boxes that creates the things it's like what the atheist is saying is is totally different from my belief so okay whatever but this person in my view is distorting my beliefs and so i think the quote later you know you reference he's like though that well they they followed false teachers but at least it's the it's a similar kind of thing mm -hmm. and so you have a stronger you know like competition i guess with the the people that it's just that one little thing and I think what Hayek is pointing out here, pointing out here is that these two kind of the faith systems or philosophies, you know, I think of socialism and Nazism and Marxism and, and all of it, you know, it all ultimately leads to fascism. Um, and that's why he singles out uh, liberalism, because it is fundamentally opposed to all of those things. Um, it, it's not at all the same. It's not at all the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he goes into this a, a bit more, but I did want to quote uh, someone else while we were stumbling along this. There's this guy, uh, W.H. Chamberlain. The reason I mm-hmm. wanted to, to highlight this is because he's an American correspondent who's really sympathetic towards socialism and communism, but then he spent yep. seven years in communist Russia as well as time in Germany and Italy. So we kind of got to see all the, of them. The quote Hayek said there was that he was forced to re examine his beliefs. Yeah, <laughs> or revise oh, yeah, yeah. his he's, beliefs. He's, he's I think it's what Hayek it. said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He got, uh, he got the, uh, uh, you know, AP class he took i suppose Mm -hmm. but the quote is quote socialism is certain to prove in the beginning at least the road not to freedom but to dictatorship and counter dictatorships to civil war of the fiercest kind socialism achieved and maintained by democratic means seemed definitely to belong to the world of utopias as in it doesn't exist yeah yeah yeah. well that's the thing with utopia some people believe it's like utopia is a good thing that we should know utopia means by definition is unattainable it is not it is not possible and and that is even as democratic means right we talk about democratic socialism it's like you're striving for something that you can't do right what's that quote uh if you shoot for the moon, you'll land in a gulag. I don't, I don't know what it is, yeah, but, um, exactly, yeah. but yeah, I mean, that, that is a thing. If you try to go for this unattainable goal, I mean, you are going to drag a whole bunch of people down in this experiment. And even if you are pure of heart, you're going to get the bullet to the head and you're going to have someone really, really bad take over after you. Yeah. I think, I think a good example to map onto. So like if you can get people to agree that it doesn't matter if you like this system, this program, just ask yourself if it's reversible practically say, okay, so you democratically elected someone that then created social security. <laughs> is that reversible? Like now it's, it's really not now there are ways to, but it's incredibly difficult, you know, and that's not about making a lot of people mad. The longer, mm-hmm. exactly. The longer you go down this road, the more difficult it is to turn back. And so the point is, is these people that they, well, no, it's democratically elected. It's like, okay, Hitler was democratically elected. Was that reversible once you did it? There's a thing, you know, something that comes to my mind is uh, in, in like mountaineering called getting cliffed out. And if you get cliffed out, it's where you get to a point where you can't go forward, but you can't go backwards. So you took yourself to that point, but you get stuck there. Actually, it was the, literally the two days after I took my uh, wilderness first aid class that I happened to be out bouldering in this spot where I came across these, these, they were super duper high, but this guy got himself cliffed out. He had climbed to a certain spot, but he got himself stuck. He did not know how to get back. He couldn't. And so I had to go up and help him do that. And the point is, is that just because you chose to put yourself in a position, dem- democracy elected it, doesn't mean that that position is reversible, that you can unchoose it. You can choose, well, I mean, this is a, you get, obviously there are people who say, well, but if, if I get my wife pregnant, that's, I ch- we chose to do that, you know, but that's an irreversible thing because I'm not going to murder a child. But you get, you get my point. And so the, the argument is completely fallacious on its face that, well, if it was democratically chosen, then therefore it represents some, you know, extension of freedom or liberty or democracy or, or, or our constitutional republic. But that's not the case. You can act- absolutely choose things that are irreversible afterwards. Yeah. Hitler was democratically elected, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, what I'm saying. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's democratically elected, and then that was not going to be reversed. <laughs> it yeah, wasn't. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just so, voted. Here's here's another example. The China not that long ago, right? Xi Jinping, mm-hmm. president for life now. Yeah. He was voted in, and then they, I think they ousted. Oh, no, this is this is Soviet Union. Where they got rid of all these other people who would have made it where Putin couldn't couldn't be, mm-hmm. or, or would would able to be reelected. But the same Putin, China, whatever, voted in. 
right? Who, you know, who knows about the security of those elections, but are, are those guys going anywhere? I mean, come on, you know? And so it, yeah. it, it's, it's, a, it's a completely ludicrous argument that people don't want to think about. It's like, well, yeah. And, and your cho- choosing as, of a thing is, has nothing to do with the irreversibility of the thing. And as bad as those guys are, uh, when they do go um, from either, you know, just allowing the, the next generation to come in or a bullet to the back of the head, um, the next person might not be uh, as good even uh, as those yep. uh, pretty bad people. So that's the, the scary part. And again, even democracy, um, you can really <laughs> screw yourselves uh, and go off the the road that got you to where you're at. But so there's a, another quote here that goes back into a little bit of the comparison between uh, Nazism, fascism and communism, and even talks about like how they were recruiting each other because they were primed mm-hmm. to, to go from one extreme to the other, which really in reality was just the same extreme, but just bouncing back to different labels. And there's actually a hilarious quote in here that I, I'm going to highlight after I, I read it, but uh, quote, no less significant in the intellectual history of many of the Nazi and fascist leaders Everyone who has has watched the growth of these movements in Italy or in Germany has been struck by the number of leading men from Mussolini downward who began as socialists and ended as fascists or Nazis. And what is true of the leaders is even more true of the rank and file of the movement. The relative ease with which young communists could be converted into a Nazi or vice versa was generally known in Germany best of all by the propagandists of all parties. Many a university teacher during the 1930s has seen English and American students return from the continent uncertain whether they, are, they were communists or Nazis and certain only that they hated Western liberal civilization. Mm. This is what I wanted to highlight that is, is Huge funny quote. in the saddest way. I'm thinking like kids coming home from college is like, I don't know what major I want to be. But instead of major, yeah. like, I don't know if I want to be a Nazi or a communist, like which... Which one I just should know I, I do? hate like, this. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I just know I'm this not heteronormative, do... patriarchal, yeah. colonial. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just, I know I'm not going to be a doctor. So throw that out of the way. You know, it's like this, this silly, you know, they didn't know what to choose from because they just sounded so utopian at the time, right? Because something that promises utopia in which both of them do by very, very similar methods um, is going to be attractive, especially the young, you know, the, the kids going over there, but um, all they were taught to make sure that they didn't go down this other, this third option was to hate the West, hate yep. the thing that allowed them to go there to learn more about, you know, other cultures. Right. So that, that yep. it, when you talk about liberalism, sometimes will lead to the death of liberalism. This is how it happens. Exactly. Well, how it and, happens. and that's what you mentioned earlier about that, that quote at the end of chapter one about ex- like importing culture and importing ideas instead of, instead of exporting them. It's like the minute you start and, and to the quote that, that Hayek said earlier in chapter one, where he's like, the minute it was penetrated at one point, the whole thing's going to collapse. Um, and so like the point is, is whenever you, and I think that was even in the introduction where he, Hayek had made the point that they had allowed these criticisms of, econo- of economic systems that had made it to where there were all these completely insane theories that were able to gain ascendancy because people questioned the whole thing. They threw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And so, those students coming back and it's like, well, I don't know if I'm a Nazi, I don't know if I'm a communist, but I just know that I hate the West. Um, all of that, again, speaks to, I think, you know, in my view, the religious nature of this stuff. It's not, you know, I don't know which works better. You know, it's just, I know I'm one of these things that's opposed mm-hmm. to the West, that's opposed to freedom. Um, and I think it also speaks to the impressionability and, uh, you know, the, the danger of young people to sound like a curmudgeon on my porch, but it's like, 
can we raise the voting age to 35? Like, like you know, <laughs> like, like, like I'm just, just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but to just continue, and, and this is actually something we just talked about before, but but in the, the rest of this quote, quote, uh, while, the Nazi, while to the Nazi the communist and to the communist the Nazi and to both the socialists are potential recruits who are made who are both made of the right timber, although they have listened to false prophets like we talked about before. It's just the same ideology, but just, you have a false prophet, but it's yep. really close, but I still hate it's you. The for one it. little thing. Exactly. Uh, they both know that there can be no compromise between them and those who really believe in individual freedom, right? This is mm. the part that it doesn't matter. You have a false prophet, but you're close enough to me that we can together hate this other person who believes in this individual yep. freedom nonsense, who believe, believes in true liberalism. You know, when anyone, when anyone says, you know, I always say that I don't know how anyone can walk outside with a hammer and sickle on their shirt, because to me, that is the same as the swastika. The swastika. Yep. And even in the footnotes. Um, or a burning cross. Exactly. Yeah, even in the footnotes, he says that Hitler himself declared in a public speech in 1941 that basically national so socialism and Marxism are the same. Like, again, yep. these people wrote this stuff down or said it out loud. They're not hiding the ball on you guys. Yep. There's this small little nuance in there that separates them mostly just by name. And, you know, they, they hate each other, but they hate you more. They hate you yep. a lot more than they hate each other. Yep. Um, and they hate you because you the you there specifically being those who value individual freedom and liberty. Um, yeah, and, and that's exactly right. And again, it speaks to the fact that you know, like I was saying, that they saw each other as recruits, right? A socialist saw a Nazi, or a Nazi saw, you know, a communist, and communist saw a Nazi, and both of them saw socialists as potential recruits because they're made of the right timber. What does that mean? It means they held the same basic beliefs, they held the same basic tenets um, and predispositions towards the state of society, which is that it has to be unmade, it has to be dismantled. Um, it's just a matter of how we're going to go about it. Um, and, also, and so yeah. they didn't try to recruit the, the liberals. Yeah. And I would even relate this to today that, that, you know, we say there's extremes in the left, there's extremes in the right. And we see this kind of as a linear line. It's a line circle. In the middle, left, right. Yep. It is a circle. The extreme left and the extreme right are the same thing. Okay. Yep. Like when I, when I think of uh, CRT, I was thinking about this the other day, cause I made this, this uh, uh, accident before where I say, man, I did a complete 360 on this. And yep. I meant 180. I meant about face. Yep. Like I went the other direction, but, but the CRT types, are doing a 360 on racism. They yep. are looking at this object and saying, that's racist. They're turning around 360 degrees, looking back at the same object and being like, this is anti-racist. It's the yep. same damn thing, right? It and they, they just can't they just can't get it through their head. With and, one and exception. Think, yeah. What's the one exception? They're in power. Oh, yeah. Same idea. The only difference is, is the change of power. Yep, yeah. is that they have power. It's all resentment. Yeah. yeah. So I'd be interested to see how many people, considering both sides are, are majority white, it seems, um, that the how many of the extreme right have been like, oh man, this is wrong, and went to Antifa. Like, how many of those people have been in the same oh, camp God, at some I point? Know. I'm willing to bet it's more than you'd think. Probably, I could see that. Um, what's interesting is that there is a so uh, if you look at the hero's journey wheel, every point on it like corresponds with its opposite point in a way that connects it. And so I think that also is where you go a little bit farther on the circle where you get like um, like the Proud Boys and you'll get people who are like reasonable BLM people because those do exist, all right? Mm -hmm. That might piss some people off, but that those do exist. 
and where they both agree on stuff. I think ga- the GameStop thing was the thing that united people yeah. who were on like corresponding. And so there, there was a really, really good video um, of like, it was a biker gang who uh, was doing some, you know, pro mega thing and BLM people came and, you know, crashed the party and the biker, you know, who had the microphone at the podium was like, Hey, whoever your leader is, bring them up here. We're going to let you talk. We're going to give you, you know, two minutes, say your piece, whatever, you know, the guy came up and it fortunately happened to be, like you said, most of the people in BLM who believe BLM are really good people. You know, it's the leadership that's corrupt. It is not a good organization, but a lot of good people believe in that cause, which is an admirable cause. And they're being exploited by evil people. And this was one of those guys. The leader of that BLM group was one of those guys went up and said, I believe that black people should be afforded the same opportunities as white people. And the whole, the whole crowd started cheering, like uh, Mm -hmm. just like clapping and be like, yeah, go man. And the guy, you know, the guy's up there is like, yeah, keep going. You're doing great. And then he kept saying all these things that everyone agreed with. And the guy, you know, the biker leader guy at the end was just like, dude, we believe in the same stuff. Like, why don't act like we're fighting. We're not fighting. And and that was like one of the coolest things. And I believe that leader ended up leaving BLM shortly after that. Cause he's like, yeah, this this is just an awful, I've seen that video go around so much, although I can't imagine Mm. it's going to be favored much or or, uh, uploaded much on, on Facebook anymore. But, um, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was beautiful. It was, it was beautiful to watch, to, to see people who actually didn't believe in these extremes uh, come together and being like, dude, we, we both leave, believe in liberalism, true liberalism. Yep. I saw a thing um, that was recommended to me on Google today that was, which actually Google also recommended me. It was like, hey, reliable sources, Brian Stelter is going to be on at such and such thing tonight. I'm like, why are you recommending this shit to me? But, uh, but where Anthony Mackie, um, you know, he gave that big, you know, dumb woke spiel at the end of falcon and winter soldier he had originally proposed a line in there that they shot it down where he wanted to say in that speech if we're going to make america great again then the decisions has to be made by americans and that includes people of all races color sexuality and everything and we have to include all americans in that process and i read that and i'm like that like I I felt bad for Anthony Mackie because it's like that the people he was criticizing Trump and and Trump supporters it's like that's what they did that was the most progressive like inclusive diverse whatever buzzword you want to use conservative administrations ever existed you know and from top to bottom and the probably the most big tent Republican movement that has ever existed and Anthony Mackie who thinks that CNN's a reliable source or something like that is has been persuaded the exact opposite whereas it's exactly what you said like i read that and i think pretty much every trump supporter at least that i know who would read that and go yeah we agree yeah 100 percent that we has to include all americans let's do that like for sure that's what we're trying to do and you know you've been misinformed basically you've been misinformed about the nature of this thing which is what hayek was writing about then is that people had been misinformed and were being lied to intentionally, and then they were propagand- or propagating the misinformation and lying to others unwittingly um, about the nature of this uh, other freedom, new freedom, new liberalism, democratic socialism, whatever, you know, like, like with BLM and whatever, most of the people today who advocate for this stuff don't realize, and that's that last quote here, right? You, mm-hmm. you want to you end us on this last quote yeah. about, uh, about exactly what, I'm, what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. This will do more justice than whatever I was going to say. Yeah. And I, this is, he, he says this exact same thing in like every single chapter in a little bit of a different way. And I absolutely love yep. the way he says Amazing. it. So, yep. uh, quote, that democratic socialism, the great utopia of the last few generations is not only unachievable, 
but that to strive for it produces something so utterly different that few of those who, who now wish it, wish it would be prepared to accept the consequences. Many will not believe it until, until the connection has been laid bare in all of its aspects. So the, the idea that he keeps reiterating in, in some different way um, in every single chapter is the idea that people who strive for this utopia will find that the consequences of their actions are going to be so utterly different from what they actually wanted, from what their end goals are, that they're going to be like horrified. They'll be revolted by it. Yeah. yeah. And that, that, yeah, they'll be absolutely disgusted by, by the fruits of their labor that, um, you know, the only way to stop them from doing that is showing them like this has happened. This is not the first time it's happened. This is not theoretical as, as many of them want to say. And, and the academics is like, this is all theoretical. And if we do it right, if we, if we follow the plan, there's no way it's going to go wrong. Well, every yep. single time you do some of this, every single time you, be, you create a big cohort of state, um, it ends this way where people yep. get shut out and you have a net negative in terms of real freedom and a net positive in, ter in terms of real suffering. Yep. And, and I think it's important to note that what Hayek is doing there, I think is actually an incredibly charitable nod to the intentions of most people. Because to say that is to acknowledge the, and he, and again, does this multiple times, is to acknowledge the good intentions, the laudable intentions, the worthy intentions of most people advocating for these things. So he's saying, I understand that, that you're, most of you are not motivated by power. Some of you are, but most of you aren't. And so to say that if you got what you wanted, you would be horrified by it is to acknowledge your good intentions, to acknowledge you're probably a decent person who is trying to make the world a better place. And I think is is an olive branch that a lot of people didn't recognize as an olive branch, but it's absolutely an olive branch. Um, because what he's saying there is, is that you actually have the desire to do good. It's just the method is is broken and is is not going to work. I like the idea because just... You know, you take something like the American Civil War, uh, when it ended, the North, even being the victor, had to realize the South are their neighbors. Like, you, yep. you have to forgive and you have to live with these people. You can't just, like how they used to, like way back in the day, just slaughter your enemies at the end um, and, and take all their stuff. You have to live with these people. So I think give them that that charitable um, uh, you know, attribution to their actual motives is, is a good way to say, I get you're trying to do something good. I don't think there's anything inherently, like, I don't think there's inherently something different between the Englishman and the German. It's just the ideas that are different. And if yep. we can utilize your ambitions to make a better world, but do it in a way that fall, that follows the path we've been on up to this point, the, that your, your efforts will go much farther than you think. Um, and yep. won't, you know, hurt everyone else as you try to experiment do conduct the social experiment. Yep. I will say that I would draw a distinction between some of the, some of the Confederates there. I know that you weren't saying that all of them, but it's like, yeah, there's a lot of people that really just wanted to keep slavery. Um, but that, but I know, I know that that's not what you're, you're saying there. Um, so, so let's do a, a brief recap and then we can, we can end it. Um, so, you know, basically in these first two chapters, what we see is Hayek in the abandoned road, he's saying, before we get to the road to serfdom that we're going on, let's look at the road that actually brought us to a place of tremendous prosperity, tremendous scientific growth, ingenuity, medical growth, um, and, and wealth creation for virtually all of the West and for the United States. And that is an idea of freedom of the individual, of individuality, as he puts it, um, that men are the best determiners of their own fate. 
Um, and so you have to unleash them to pursue their own means as they see fit, as long as they're not imposing them on other people. Uh, and that's going to lead to explosions in innovation, um, into scientific advancements, and to wealth creation for the societies that allow you know, people to pursue their own ends instead of trying to meddle and get involved. And we had kind of happened upon this, this realization of the connection between these two things um, really centuries before this. And just as he, he said, it was implemented kind of in patchy um, applications here and there. And then eventually we were like, oh, wait, this works. Let's do more of that. Um, and so that leads to the rise of, of freedom and, and liberalism in, that, in the true sense. Um, and he's saying, here's the road we we're on. We let people pursue these things. It created this ad huge advancements in society. And there's people now who want to compare today to today and don't realize the mechanisms that brought us here. And they need to look at the men a hundred years ago who, what they were trying to get in society, what they were striving for and what standards of living they had. And to really acknowledge how privileged we are and how lucky we are um, and and therefore the responsibility we have to understand the mechanisms and the environment that was necessary to create this so that like a gardener, we can try to maintain that environment. We don't want to get too involved. We just want to maintain the ecosystem that allows for this massive growth of wealth and of liberty and of, and of uh, quality of life for most people. And he acknowledges that that doesn't affect everyone equally, but that everyone still is better off than they would have been without it. Um, and so to abandon all of that in favor of some new utopian thing um, and to dismantle all of that and to think that you could do better uh, is wildly naive and will lead to the exact opposite of what you're trying to do. And so he's seeing that these people were looking at the old method that got them there and seeing it as obstacles rather than the necessary um, ingredients for what brought them there in the first place. And, you know, they saw it as scaffolding and Hayek saying, this is the foundation of the building. You can't just remove it once the building has been built. Um, and so then in, in chapter two, he goes on to put a label to it and he's saying, this is socialism. The thing that you think is this new thing, this new thing that will um, free us, you know, that is, I think, what did he say? They're, they thought it was the heir apparent to liberalism um, was socialism. And he's saying, no, it's not. Um, it is instead the, the exact opposite. It will take you to the opposite place. And there are people who are hijacking the language using this double speak of freedom and democracy um, to try and whitewash this thing that all leads to the same places. And here's Hitler saying, nope, this is the same. This is the same. And, you know, the fact that the, the Marx or the communists and the Nazis were fighting for the same people and they both saw socialists as, as recruits shows you that these, uh, these ideas, you know, it's like, it's, there's, I, I use a, the religious, you know, in, in the Bible, what's, is that there's only one answer is that it's Jesus. And so, you know, to a believer, they're like, Satan doesn't care what it is you worship as long as it's not Jesus, because all of those other roads lead to the same place. And so I think what Hayek is saying is we found this one road that has led to the most prosperity that human, ha human civilization has ever seen since, since its inception. And there are all these other roads and what people need to realize is that socialism is not going to take you to a different place than fascism or than communism or than Nazism or than Marxism or whatever, though all of those roads are going to lead to the same place. They're all going to lead ultimately um, to a totalitarian state. Um, and, and so that people needed to understand that. Does that, I, I know I missed some stuff there, but, but does that wrap some of that up? I mean, what I miss? Yeah. No, I mean, you really hit it on the head. Uh, you know, the first chapter is abandoning the road and, 
you know, we're abandoning the road to freedom. And the second chapter says how we're making a U-turn down the road of servitude. Yep. Uh, he kind of made that quote, I think, somewhere in those chapters. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but. Um, As it's Tocqueville quote, I think. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Um, uh, you know, there's a really good quote I'm trying to think of that that's from uh, Andrew Clavin, actually. And it's it's a, a quote about the devil. And, and when you said something about that is like um, something about the, the devil doesn't care who's, you know, giving out the pain. He just cares that the pain's being being done. Right. Hmm. It doesn't care where it's coming from. It's just that that pain and anguish uh, just needs to be happening. And this is a great way to serve that purpose, because, you know, although it's easy to say, you know, this is not it's not my version of socialism. It's not yep. what I wanted to do. I have good intentions. Yeah, exactly. Um, even the well-intentioned, even the people who are doing this for a truly good cause, uh, you know, the pain will come. The, the pain yep. will be there when you don't allow freedom. That's just the, the natural conclusion. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, and that's why, you know, the prescience of it, you know, that's why I wrote the, the, the rhyme of the century here, you know, because history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And the pain that was experienced in Nazi Germany and, you know, in, in Soviet Russia, um, Hayek was trying to warn against saying, we don't have to repeat that pain. Um, we don't have to have that again here. And w the road we're going down is, is going to be a, a repeat of that. And that's what we're trying to do here and saying that we don't want to repeat these mistakes, even though we're totally repeating these mistakes. Um, all right. Does that seem like a good place to, to end it yeah. there? Yeah. Good episode um, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Whoever listened to this. Uh, if you haven't listened to the first one, the introduction, uh, please do. Uh, if this is sometime in the future and you haven't listened to the one that came after this, please do uh, or continue listening to them. But uh, yeah, I think it's a fun conversation. I'm, I'm really glad uh, you, you came up with this idea to, to review books in general and then to, to use this one as the first book is, is a terrific uh, experience. Awesome. Yeah. I, I probably wouldn't have done it if you wouldn't have said yes. So, so I appreciate that as well. well I had the easy um, job to say yes. That's well, good. Yeah. Um, anyway. All right. Well, if this is the kind of thing that you guys are into, please like share and subscribe. Um, Kevin's locals community is engineering politics uh, on locals, ENG underscore politics uh, on Twitter um, and think spot YouTube, all of those places um rumble grinder all that yeah uh, just engineering politics and then same for me on all of those well most of them and uh and on me medium as well um except for it's return to reason and then on twitter it's uh, at my mundane mind um yeah uh, and so I just i guess we'll see you next week on this my guess is we're gonna end up breaking this up into i think they're almost exactly an hour each to be honest the chapter one and chapter two is so what we'll figure that out but yeah. That just speaks to, I think, either. Uh, I think, well, let's say that's more of about the quality of the book than, than it is. Yeah. Than it is about. I think our, uh, chapter two is like five pages long, by the way. <laughs> it really is. Dude. <laughs> yeah, it's it short. is. Yeah, it's super short. So, but that's, you that's can't. You can't. It's so hard. I mean, it just really quick goes back to that little com that condensed version that they made the American version twenty pages. Yeah, like, they did the whole book in twenty pages. We couldn't do half of a chapter in that. So I was looking there's, at the there's people very skilled. Very skilled that. in this, and, yeah. And it's it is really something yeah. to be honest, man. Yeah, nice. it's it's on the Mises Institute website. So anyway, yeah, we'll put the links to to the PDF and stuff there. Um, again, leave us any comments, any feedback. If you have any thoughts, uh, this is important stuff. That's why we're talking about it. So uh, yeah, we'd love your feedback. And uh, I think that's it, Kenny, Kevin. You ready to stop recording there? Yep. All right. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Peace. See ya.